Hi, I'm your host, Aaron, and welcome to the First Generations Podcast, the show where we dive into the personal experience and knowledge of individuals that pave their path to success on their own terms. From entrepreneurs, professionals, and beyond, we will learn what it takes to walk through their journey and what it means to be first generation. Coming up in this episode... Has told them that I'm a truant and that I'm a drug addict. And she basically accuses me of everything she's been doing, selling drugs, all sorts of stuff. I'm like, I haven't used a drug. Like the last time I smoked a joint was with you, like my mother. But of course, this is what I would relate to what you said. I was silent. The judge is yelling at me in the courtroom and my mother's saying all these horrific things about me. And I was just trapped inside myself. I was silent where I wanted to be screaming. Are you kidding me? She kicked me out. And now she's having me arrested the first day of school. Welcome back to another episode of the First Generations Podcast. Now, today's guest is a highly energy, inspirational woman who serves her community in numerous ways. She is the vice president at the TTR Sotheby's International Realty in Washington, D.C. She's also a licensed realtor in Washington, D.C., Virginia, and Maryland. She spent 10 years as a host of her Sirius XM satellite radio show and now hosts her own podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, and I would also presume a lot of any major podcast hubs that are out there. And also, you can find her show on YouTube. So our guest is a best-selling author and a member of the Happiness Hall of Fame with celebrities like Dolly Parton and Muhammad Ali. She is best known for her yay attitude and her yay spirit and as she celebrates you. As the vice president of TTR Sotheby's, one of the country's leading real estate companies, she has helped hundreds of clients attain their dream in real estate for over 20 years. She has helped make the world a better place by educating, inspiring, and empowering people by hosting The Jennifer Hammond Show, on SiriusXM for almost 10 years and has aided thousands of veterans and their families in finding the help they need through her best-selling book, Over 101 Plus Resources for Veterans. I am incredibly honored to present you our guest for today, Jennifer J. Hammond. Yay! Hi, Jennifer. Thank Hi, Jennifer. You. How are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. I'm so excited to be with you. You know, I, I have been my, anyone who does actually finally watch this in the video, they'll see I'm sitting next to my southernmost point uh, marker. We're 90 miles to Cuba from Key West and you're up in Canada. I mean, we couldn't be further away and be on the same continent, right? <laughs> 100%. I was actually uh, messaging one of my friends. Uh, she lives in North Carolina, but she was down in Florida to visit her parents and she was sharing how, you know, she was sharing the amazing, beautiful views, the scenic, the amazing sun, the beach, whereas up here, it's about, about 14 degrees Fahrenheit where I'm at <laughs> with all that, with lots and lots of snow. <laughs> wow. But, yeah. But it's, uh, you know what, it's to each their own, right? So I do live in a colder place, but I'm, ex I'm very excited to get this started. And right off the bat in my mind, I'm thinking about, you know, with your extensive background in real estate. Um, and I think how we met was essentially through Grant Cardone and his 10X program. So right. that being said, like within our day and age and with speaking, I presume you're very busy. So with all that in your schedule, what is one thing you're most grateful for at this moment? You, I am most grateful for you because you're having me as a guest on your show. You're, you're sharing your audience with me. And I was thinking about, you can be grateful for so many things. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to be happy. I'm grateful to be healthy. I'm grateful for so many things, but I'm so grateful for you right now because it is not easy to put together a show. It's not easy to put yourself out there as well. And I was thinking about all, and I've listened to your show. I love the fact that you have decided to really focus on people's stories and share those and inspire other people. And you never know, I'm going to share a story with you later. You never know how powerful that is and who's listening. And so I just admire you and I'm grateful for you. Oh, thank you, Jennifer. I'm I'm super grateful to hear that. And, you know, you just give me the chills right now. And I'm just like soaking that in. I'm trying to receive Yay! that love. Um, and, I, you know, like spot on, like you don't you never know, right? Sharing people's stories. Like I grew up very misunderstood, which is one of the reasons why I just I, just, I wanted to share people's stories because I, you know, I didn't I, di I even refused to share my own, sadly enough, <laughs> until I had to learn I needed to open up. 
right? Well, I was the same way. I I didn't share I didn't share my story, and even for many years on Series X, and we talked about real estate, and I barely ever shared my story. Mm. Um, I would do little tidbits of it here and there, but for the most part, I just wouldn't. So. And I was very misunderstood. And and in a lot of ways, I much preferred people to underestimate me and just think whatever they wanted to think because the scars were too deep to really open them up for sometimes for people. And I think that one thing that I learned over the years is that the more that we can share, the more we find ways that we're connected, the more that we are alike, Mm -hmm. then we're different. Yes, Definitely. I love that. And to add on to that, the perspective, right? It shifts from instead of coming from like, let's say a fear or scarcity type of mindset of looking how we're different, we're looking at, hey, let's look at abundance and positives and, you know, let's, let's collaborate. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, it's so funny when you say that it's interesting when I first got into real estate sales, um, I was amazed by how many people all they were, their whole focus was only on competing and they wouldn't share and they wouldn't collaborate and even as a woman, there were just a lot of rooms I was not invited into because I was a woman. And I was just, I, it was so funny because also coming from an island, I had this really happy attitude. Mm-hmm. And I, I would just be like, well, I mean, I think in some respects, I felt like the three-year-old that keeps going, why? Why? Well, why don't, why don't you want me there? Well, why not? Well, I don't understand. Why? Why? And I think I just annoyed the daylights out of people where they're like, oh my gosh, fine. You can come into the room. You can come into the networking breakfast with all the powerhouse people in Washington, D.C. And mm-hmm. it was funny because it was breaking through their ideas of who should be sitting at the table, you know, developing the city, the nation's capital. And it's amazing. There were just very few women even allowed in their room. Yeah. Uh, I commend you for that, by the way, you're like a trailblazer, just paving the path for a woman in getting into real estate or even, even starting their own show. Right. Like, so I'm curious about how, you know, how growing up in Key West was like, especially yeah. on the Island, because if you, I, I'm not too familiar, familiar with that area, but I imagine a lot of beaches, a lot of positive vibes, a lot of sun, you know, a lot of fishing, so it was, it, it was so interesting because I laugh in the fact that we just never had, we never did, I think, a lot of the traditional things of, you know, watching TV, like, or, and obviously when I was growing up, we didn't have cell phones and some yeah. of the video games and things that you have now. But we, like, I grew up most of it, like going, because in the Florida Keys, there's all of these different islands that are all around the Keys. So we were always getting in, whether it was a rowboat or a tiny little boat where you would have like a one point five horsepower engine me <laughs> slowly creeping along on the water <laughs> but you would go out and we'd go fishing and and diving and and it was so interesting because th- there were all these little islands and you would find like i remember one of the islands when we were kids you know we of course would always be you know daring each other go, go to that island we, is there anybody on there you know, and there was some, like, there was one island we used to call it Monkey Island. And uh, unfortunately, somebody had decided to, it's probably a pharmaceutical company. I don't even know who it was, but they had a bunch of monkeys on there and they would just test them. So if you got too close to the islands, the monkeys could come running out into the water. You're like, ah, you have to go running away from them. So it just, it was like a Tom Sawyer kind of ridiculous um, existence that you just, I, I don't know who has that kind of environment now because everything's so wrapped around, um, a, you know, a phone or a tablet or electronics. And we just didn't have that. So we grew up with a, I want to say almost a very rural area being that it was all around the water and whether it was fishing, um, being just out on the boat and the beaches it was funny. We have one really big beach called Smathers in Key West. And then there are a lot of other ones, but they're, they bring in the sand. They're man-made. They're not naturally occurring. And there are very few that are naturally occurring. And that's just because it's so shallow, which again, if you actually know Key West is originally from, um, from what I was told, a Spanish word means Kehueso, unfortunately translates to Island of Bones. And that's because oh. the big ships used to crash. So, of course, there was, a, um, of course, this is the way the story goes. We'll see. This is, you know, how these stories translate. Who knows? But in the pirate days, um, they would have like there was like a lighthouse and they would turn off the light so that the big ships that were carrying the gold would crash on the reef 
And then all the bodies and the gold would wash up the next morning. And that's how it became Island of Bones because there are all these bodies as well as all the gold. And there's a very famous um, Spanish galleon called the Atosha that was found uh, when I was living there that was found off of Key West. And of course, the, the gentleman who brought it up, oh my gosh, Mel Fisher, he actually fought with the United States government because after he lost, I think it was both his sons, he lost lots of his friends in diving accidents and spent all his money. And then he pulled up all this treasure, just millions and millions of dollars of treasure in gold and such. Then the United States government said, oh, thanks very much. That's ours. <laughs> so he spent years and years fighting to be able to get his stuff. And um, his story goes sad, but but it was amazing because it's it's fun that I grew up in an environment where somebody like a treasure hunter actually found a massive treasure, a massive Spanish galleon. And if you know the the stories, if you get a chance to look up Atosha, I mean it's it's truly. In fact, they should make a movie into that someday. I realize just amazing, amazing life story around that. So it was a completely different kind of growing up. I remember thinking about when I was in high school, we had what was called an open lunch, which I laugh. I think, I don't know how many schools do this, where you could leave the campus <laughs> in high school for lunch. And lunch was usually like an hour and a half. And we just go to the beach. The problem was is sometimes we wouldn't come back. Ah, interesting. So if you, if you go to the beach at lunchtime, do you want to go back for math and whatever? <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> so, so we didn't. But... I also had an alcoholic drug addict mom who she didn't care. So like, since nobody was kind of watching, we got away with a whole lot more as far as not doing things that I think most people would have if it were a more strict environment. So, yeah. uh, Okay. Thank you for sharing, Jennifer. Now you mentioned, yeah. you know, like, thank you for describing the Key West for myself. And I picture that, you know, maybe from a picture on the outside, it all, it all seemed very nice and beautiful. But how was it? How was it growing up for you personally, if you don't mind me asking? No, it, it's a good question. Because a lot of times like when I think of Key West, for so long, I remember I used to when I got away from Key West, I had so many friends go, oh, I want to go back. I want to go back and see Key West. And I was like, Oh, why would you want to do that? Because for me, it was not fun. It was not paradise. It was, it felt very much like a prison in a lot of ways. Oh. My dad had left when I was very young. And then my mom was physically abusive as well as mentally abusive. And so my sister ironically had gotten into trouble at one point. And, and as many mothers might do, they, they say, if you do that one more time, I'm going to send you to a foster home. Well, my mom did. She, after beating my my sister one one too many times, and she just, you know, had not, my sister just would not do what my mom wanted. She went ahead and she, she actually sent her off to an aunt's house up in upstate New York. So Key West to way upstate New York. And of course, back then, as I said before, we didn't have cell phones or email. It's so weird mm -hmm. to think about. There's a time when we didn't have email, but we didn't have email. We didn't have cell phones. So my sister and I couldn't communicate. And I didn't know until... I found her many, many years later in our 20s that she had um, she'd moved in with that aunt and she'd written me letter after letter, but my mother would never give me the letter. So I never knew my sister was reaching out to me. And of course, when I wrote letters to my sister, my mom would never mail them. But the aunt got declared an unfit mother. And then my sister bounced around from foster home to foster home. And I didn't know any of the stuff that she was going through. And so... It was not an ideal place to grow up. And then my brother, unfortunately, was led into the the place of drug dealers and drug addicts by my mother. And soon he was um, a drug dealer for other, you know, preteen and teenagers. And then, of course, after one really bad fight with my mother, um, my brother said, that's it. Um, and I remember the fight. It was an awful, very violent fight. And I had hid underneath my, my bed and my brother had, had left. It was really bloody and he left and then he hitchhiked all the way up to new upstate New York to go find my sister and see if she was okay. And so then all of a sudden I'm alone in yeah. the house with my abusive mother. 
And so before I was the good kid because I was the the one who was the most quiet. And um, compared to my sister or my brother, who were both much more outspoken, I was the quiet kid who just kept my mouth shut. And I tried to remain out of sight or hidden as much as possible, which, again, is an interesting background, as you know, I know you want to talk about later about speaking. And how did I get into doing this speaking and then radio and all the stuff that I've done now? It's the exact opposite of what I was as a kid, because I wouldn't speak up when my mother was abusive, when she would say awful things. I would never speak up my brother and my sister. I did my brother sometimes, you know, protecting me and my sister just, you know, when things were, I still, I was thinking about her the other day. She just was so outspoken. And I, I, when I think about her, she was adopted and my mom was just always reminded her that she was adopted, you know, and made her feel so undervalued and insignificant and then and like I said physically was so abusive to my poor sister and I was really good at hiding but I was also really good at being silent Mm. and that that was just my strategy so that I got the least amount of violence and but my mom I'll tell you one thing that my mom said that left a scar that is so deep and it's such an interesting thing when you think about it People can invalidate you and tell you you're not good enough, you're not worthy, Mm -hmm. all those things. But when your mom screams at you, these are like words you just never forget. She used to scream, I wish you were never born. You ruined my life. Oh, I'm sorry, Jennifer. It's a scar. You just think, oh, well, should I be here? Should I live? What should I, you know, that's one of those. You can't unsee that or you can't unhear that, right? It it just lingers. Like no matter how much work you put in, like it's still there. It's, it's, even if you put in lots of work on yourself to do it, it's still there. But it's just a matter of fact of how you choose to deal with it, right? So yeah. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Thank you. I think it's so funny because when I, as I got older and I, I started doing work on myself, one of the things that I finally did is I... And this is a powerful lesson, life lesson, if we, if we can take away a kind of a life lesson, especially from like a scar like that, was I chose to switch viewpoints. And I, I wanted to learn about my mother and what was her upbringing and what, what made her choose alcoholism and drugs and why was she so cruel and mean to me? What was that about? Because she was also an artist and she was extremely talented. She was an amazing, um, and it reminds me of so many, I think, tortured soul artists that you find is she had such a beauty to her that you're just kind of like, how could there be so much ugliness and so much beauty mixed mm-hmm. together? It just seems so, such a weird contradiction. And it was funny because one of the things I found out um, as I started pulling the strings and finding about her is I found out that her mom particularly her dad actually was extremely abusive and physically. And he was also an alcoholic and a raging alcoholic, like really, really bad to the point where, you know, just I could go down so many rabbit holes with that, but just, it was a contagion of this abuse. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny because I believe that my sister, my brother and I have, we've ended the cycle. Like, and I hate to say that we, none of us had children but I think all of us were so determined to work on ourselves mm-hmm. and to find other ways to contribute to the world and to the society and to have nieces and nephews and that kind of stuff, but to not have to worry, um, to, to make sure that we were not going to create that same horrible environment for a child to grow up. And, and yet I, I am, weirdly enough, I'm going to say I'm grateful because I can see life in such a completely different way. And like I said, when I first got to DC, I knew how to dress properly and I appeared. So many people thought I came from a wealthy family and they thought I had come from a very privileged background. And it was the weirdest thing to real, to be like, oh, my secret childhood. We're not mm. going to talk about that. And it was, it just realized it was, and again, it was very, um, it was a weird secret to to harbor for so long that no, 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 nobody gave me a silver spoon. And oh my gosh, it's the exact opposite in so many ways, if you only knew. 
but I realized that I, like for me, it was a secret I kept for most of my twenties and thirties where I just, I, I refused to let people know my story mm-hmm. because I wanted them to underestimate me. And, and it, and it's one of those things where I was also in the middle of healing. And I think you always want to make sure that you, you're at a point where you can really talk about things and it's not going to take you backwards into a place where you can't, you can't talk about it and, and really see all of the blessings that are in what, what's happened to you. hundred percent. I, I really, I really resonate a lot with your story. Um, more like not as, not as much with like the mom part, but like, I also grew up in a family where, you know, I stayed very hidden. Like I tried to hide beneath the shadows. If I had to be the good person and do something bad for the greater good, I'll do that. And I'll hide beneath the shadows. And, um, I really resonate with the fact that, you know, we're breaking on that generational cycle because, um, it was like almost like an eye opening experience when I started, you know, like you said, do, when you start doing the work and you start asking why, and it's like, you know, you look at how my parents, well, I looked at how my dad was specifically, and I looked at how my grandpa was to him. And then, you know, it's like that trauma gets passed down on. And even though as parents, we try to do what we can, or we're as pa- parents try to do the best for their children, but they what they went through is what the only thing that they know how, right? So they think like, hey, it's normal how we raise our kids or whatever it is, right? And it's just gone to the point where I've come to the realization I can't even blame my dad for being who he is because yeah. that's all he knows. Right. right? I, I came to the same realization. My mom, unfortunately, has passed now. She's She died of cancer. Yeah. But it, Sorry, it's funny, and my that. dad, um, I finally found my dad um, years later after high school. And it was interesting because, uh, you know, now I've had the opportunity to hear his story. And he also came from you know, trauma. And, and, and it's, it was a story that as I, as I started like pulling the strings and finding out what he had gone through, he had no idea how to be a father. He had no idea how to be part of a family. And again, he was similar to you. He also, you know, he had the idea that it was just safer to be quiet and to be kind of unseen as much as possible um, just to preserve the people getting, you know, in worse condition, so to speak, and things getting worse. Yeah, for sure. Um, that being said, obviously, you mentioned earlier, you're a speaker, you have your own podcast, your podcast host, like you had, you're filled with this yay energy. But growing up, you had just, it, it sounded like the, all this energy was actually, you were naturally born with it, but you, it was just bottled inside. Is that is that how yeah. it was? It was, it was kind of, yeah, it was all hidden inside. And it was funny because I remember thinking someday I'm going to get to let it out. It's funny. I actually did, um, I did this one interview and the interviewer said, isn't it great that Jennifer had such a terrible childhood because she's still like a child now. And I started laughing and I thought, I think that's exactly, I bottled all that childlike energy and that happy, yay, inside. And I was like, someday I always believed, you know, almost in that, um, you know, like a, when you wish upon a star, I always believed that somewhere down the road, this was going to get better. And I just, I feel so grateful that I made it through to the other side of it. And that, again, I can share my story and that I continue to pers- pers- persevere past. And there's so many things that, that I can share with you, including, you know, how did I actually make it out of high school is a story. And I think I was sharing with you the teaser of, someone had to die. Yes. Do you mind sharing that? Yeah, I'll share. I think this is the perfect time to share this one. So, so now uh, you may imagine this. So in high school, I was still, you know, I was just this kind of happy go lucky little Island girl. As long as I was, you know, away from my mom, I I really, I would be, but I was really quiet. I like literally just not a popular person in, in high school or elementary school. I just kind of kept to myself, but it was just kind of my own little, just going about life. And um, the year before, so the junior year before my senior year, I had, um, my mom and I had gotten into a terrible fight. And remember my brother and my sister are gone. So I'm the only one left in the house. She has a new boyfriend and he's a big drug dealer. He's a huge, you know, major drug dealer. And I was a bit of a pain, you know, because I mean, 
who has a new girlfriend they don't want to have a kid around mm -hmm. and so she got mad at me and she threw all my stuff out on the front lawn and said that's it you're out of here so I'm 17 and I'm like uh well I had just started working because it was summer and it was a summer between my, my junior year and my senior year I had just started working for a law firm I was working nine to five for a real estate law firm in Key West Florida and and so I just, one of the, the legal secretary, she said to me, I, you know, I was like, I don't, when I went to work and I said, I don't know where I'm going to live. And I had like a brown paper bag with my clothes in it. And she wow. said, she said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, my mom threw me out. And she goes, well, why? And I said, you know, I, you know, she's got a new boyfriend and I don't know, she got mad at me. I mean, nothing made sense. It wasn't like it was, a, I can't remember what the stupid, it was something so stupid that whatever reason she had, but it basically boiled down to, she had a new boyfriend. She didn't want me around. And so um, she lived, the legal secretary, her name was Barbara. She lived one block from me. And she goes, you know what? You can, we have an extra bedroom. She said, you can move into our place. She said, I'll take you to and from work every day. She said, but what I do want in exchange is I want you to clean the house and um, babysit because she had a little seven-year-old boy. She said, and then babysit for the boy when I need yeah. you to. And I said, okay. And so this is the summer. So I was like, okay. So I'm going to work every day, blah, blah, blah. So then it is the first day of school at my senior year of school at Key West High School. Now, anyone who's in Key West High School will never forget this day because this is the day that we have a brand new principal. His name is Tommy Roberts. And Tommy was the guy who went to Key West High School and then he worked his way up to be superintendent of this huge county. So it was like Miami all the way down. So, and then when he decided to retire, he's like, I always wanted to go back and be principal of my own high school, which would be kind wow. of a fun thing. Yeah. Go back to your own high school and be principal. And so that was his dream. So the first day of school for him, you know, when all the kids come to school <laughs> and Jennifer Hammond got arrested. I oh, got handcuffed. What? <laughs> What'd you do? I get handcuffed <laughs> and I get escorted out. And ironically, I get escorted out. They said it was so urgent. It was, I was such this was such a huge thing. It had to happen in the middle at lunchtime, not after the school day. Oh. At lunchtime, I get arrested in handcuffs. And of course, I'm such a, a, a goofy island girl. I was all dressed up. I was in a dress and I think I had my hair in a um, like a ponytail with a bow in it. And I had these white high heels on and I'm getting arrested and escorted out by two police officers. And I get to the courthouse and I find out that my mother has told them that I'm a truant and that I'm a drug addict. And she basically accuses me of everything she's been doing, selling drugs, all sorts of stuff. I'm like, I haven't used a drug. Like the last time I smoked a joint was with you, like my mother. But of course, this is what I would relate to what you said. I was silent. The judge is yelling at me in the courtroom and my mother's saying all these horrific things about me. And I was just trapped inside myself. I was silent where I wanted to be screaming. Are you kidding me? She kicked me out. And now she's having me arrested the first day of school. Like, this is ridiculous. And why does anybody believe her? But all of that was me inside screaming. Like, what? What's going on? So I had to go back and live with her. Yeah. And. Yeah, you got to remember the whole summer, she knows where I work and mm -hmm. she knows I live a block away from her. She's never come to see me in three months. But the first day of school, she decides to make this huge scene and get the police to Key West High School to get me arrested. And so you can probably. So after that, of course, I did what I was told and. You know, and they're like, we're going to catch you using drugs. I'm like, I don't use drugs. So you're not going to be able to catch me. You know, like, try it. I'm not using drugs. If you look at my mother, you'll find that she is. It was super frustrating to be accused of my mom's crimes, so to speak. Mm. And um, so anyway, I needless to say, I made it through till I turned 18, which was yeah. in December of my senior year. And of course, then what do you think she did? She threw all my stuff out on the front lawn again. So it, ironically, that is how I ended up, um, I ended up moving in with, uh, this is so funny, which is another story we don't have enough time for, but 
uh, my mom told the guidance counselor that I was really stupid. And so I wasn't allowed to go to college prep courses. I was in auto mechanics. Um, and like my, my math class was like how to write a check, how to balance a checkbook. I was, I was just, you know, my mom said I was too stupid. And, um, so she wouldn't let me go to college prep courses. So anyway, so I'm in auto mechanics and there's one other girl who's in auto mechanics and she finds out that I got kicked out again. Now, no, so she remembers. So she was there when I got arrested the first day of school. She yeah. and I have become friends because we're the only two girls in auto mechanics. And, um, and then uh, her parents are military and they live on the military base in Key West. Okay. Now, if you know anything about the military in the United States, you're not supposed to have civilians come live with you. No. <laughs> not, not really an okay thing to do. So I'll never forget. So I'm also, this is also a funny one. I'm in the bedroom, but the housing on base is so small. I could hear my friend. She's like begging her parents, but you have to understand she has nowhere to live and we have to take her in. And you can hear them say, and it's so funny too, because she was, um, Brandy, I love Brandy so much. She was a person who always was like rescuing a bird that has a broken wing or, you know, a puppy that she found somewhere. And they're like, this is not a puppy. This is not a bird. This is a human being. You cannot bring a human being home. We cannot take care of Jennifer. And she's like, but well, you got to. And oh my gosh, she finally convinced them to have me on there. So he had to go to his superiors and get special clearances to have me on the base. And it was a huge, huge deal. And I mean, it, it was his career and he was, he was yeah. actually in the, um, anyway, so it was amazing. I, so I got to live on the base and, um, which was an amazing thing. Cause I'd never lived on a base, especially not with all those rules. You got to remember my mom was a drug addict mm -hmm. and an artist and such. So I'll send him on a military base and I'm having to follow rules. And, yeah. um, and I'm real happy to because people are like, there's, we get together for dinner and like, it's a completely different thing that I've ever experienced. But as we go on to the year, all of a sudden I'm like, why am I finishing high school? I'm so stupid. I'm never going to go to college. I've been told that a million times. And I had hired um, through my real estate uh, attorney that I worked for. He hired a private investigator to find my dad. And we were like, huh, I wonder, I wonder I wonder where he is. And we found out that my dad <laughs> had been driving around the United States and then he broke down. He, at least this is his story that he's sticking to. He, uh, his, uh, his car broke down in Las Vegas. So he stayed for 10 years. Oh, in Vegas. <laughs> I mean, why not? That's... So he's living in a trailer park in Vegas. <laughs> so, so my, so then the, of course my law firm, the attorney says to me, Hey, would you like to, and of course, you got to remember, there's no email, there's no cell phone. And so I was still working kind of part-time at the law firm. And he said, so would you like to write your dad a letter? I was like, sure. You know, because it wasn't, he also was in a trailer park. There, there's no phone for him to call yeah. me or for me to call him. So I thought, well, okay, I'll write him a letter. So I remember, I'll never forget the opening line. Because I remember thinking, what do you say to your dad you haven't seen in years? And yeah. <laughs> just like awkward right it's like yeah what, it? hi dad uh it's me from like 15 years ago <laughs> i'm right. still We're... here <laughs> and, just... and and also you've you've got to think about like what i told you earlier about what my mom said you know that she wished i was never born and i thought mm -hmm. i wonder if my dad wishes i was never born too yeah and so i remember the first thing i wrote was I said, uh, we weren't allowed to call the mom or dad so i had to call him by his first name but i was like hi tom um I'm your daughter. Do you want to know me? Oh. Wow. I didn't know. Like, does he? I mean, he might not. And um, he called my law firm. Yeah. And it was so funny. He goes, hey, I got your letter. And I was like, oh, you got my letter. And I'm like, I don't like, I don't know where, where like both of us are silent, awkward awkward silence <laughs> and then finally he said so when you finish when you graduate from high school you know do you want to come out to vegas um he said i i can get you a bus ticket i was like a bus ticket sure i'll get a bus ticket um because we're you know he's poor i'm poor we're like i guess i'll get a bus ticket i mean i think it was like 50 almost 60 hours on the bus and i was like yeah i'll, I'll just take the bus and uh, he said, okay. And then I was like, well, why would I wait till graduation? It doesn't matter if I get a high school diploma. Like, mm -hmm. you know, 
Um, and he's like, oh, and then it's so funny now that I know my dad, I, I would have realized that he immediately started to lie to me. I didn't, and I didn't know he, so what he decided is he was trying to figure out a way to trick me to stay. So I got my high school diploma, but I didn't want to, I was 18. I didn't want to be around the keys anymore. I was like, I'm out of here. Who wants to be in this paradise? It's not paradise for me. So I want to leave. And, uh, and I want to go find my dad. I wanted to see again, if there was someone in this world that thought I was worth knowing. And so sure enough, I go into fill out all the paperwork to leave. Um, and my counselor is, I have a brand new counselor in my senior year. Of course, he saw me get arrested the first day of school too. So, oh no. <laughs> and he goes, uh, he, he used to call me green eyes ham and he's like, Hey, green eyes ham and come in here. And I was like, what? And he goes, I need to shut the door. And he said, I could get fired for this. Now, as a teenage girl, I was not really happy about him saying he wanted to shut the door. I was a little bit nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, had bad things happen to me before. So I was not trusting of men. And I was like, uh-oh, what is this guy? What is he going to do? And then he sat down and he said, well, you see, he goes, Jennifer, there's this committee and they've been talking about you. I was thinking, what committee has been talking about me? Um, and I was starting to, my heart starting to race and I'm looking at the door like, can I run out? Like, do I really need to get any papers signed before I get on a, a Greyhound bus and, move, and, you know, take this long trip out to Vegas to find my dad? And I'm really not feeling comfortable. And then he said, well, you remember Tommy Roberts, who was our principal at spring break, he died of a heart attack. Oh. And so this principal, it was so amazing that to come back and his, you know, his dream was to be principal of his own high school he died during suddenly it was a sudden heart attack and his widow was on this committee and they were talking about me they, because they said that Jennifer Hammond, if anybody would just give her a break, she would really be something. But they couldn't give me a scholarship because guess what? I had been a solid B student. I was not in college prep courses. I was, you know, from all the you know, standardized tests. I was just, just average. That was the one thing they kept saying. She was just average. She's not failing, but she's just average. She's nothing exceptional. So why, how could we give her a scholarship? And the committee decided to give me the first ever Tommy Roberts Memorial Scholarship in his name for potential. Oh, wow. What are the, what, what are the odds of that? <laughs> You know how the saying goes, like, for people that are religious, it would be God, or some people refer to the universe. It's like, you know, the universe has your back. Like, I felt like this was one of those moments. You're just like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. How could that possibly be? I was like, one, who's talking about me? Like, mm -hmm. I don't believe someone's really talking about me. And then they were like, and they, so they gave him the scholarship. So it was a two-year scholarship to the junior college. In the, it was Florida Keys Community College. But it was it was a college scholarship. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, um, and then this will give you the full circle. And so during our graduation, we had these white gowns with this red piping around there. And in the Florida Keys, like a lot of uh, around Florida, we have these torrential downpour rains in the afternoon a lot of times. And it might only rain for like 15 minutes, but it'll be a torrential downpour. And of course the, um, the white was completely see-through and the red piping around the collar bled down the white. So it was just disgusting. So in the middle of our, our graduation from high school, you know, we got this thing and everybody in the, the um, it was at our football stadium or our football field, I should say. Um, everybody in the stadium, that, you know, you hear that, that metal tink, 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 as they all go running off the, the stadium yeah. um, thing. It was so funny. And also I looked up and my best friend and I, um, Tracy and I were looking, we looked up into the, the bleachers and all of a sudden there's one person sitting there in the pouring rain. And we were like, I wonder who's crazy enough. And we don't care. We're sopping wet. So we just walk across with our little hats and gowns and where um, we look and there's my dad. Oh, wow. And I wasn't supposed to see him for another like two or three weeks when I got on the Greyhound bus. And I was like, 
I, I, you know, I was all, I was choked up and I was like, so what are you doing here? And he goes, nobody came to my high school graduation. I thought maybe I'd come to yours. Wow. Like, you know, from you sharing that and I'm picturing someone that's not never seen, never heard, never had space held for them when they needed. And then for this to happen, like, did you break? I I presume you broke down. Yes, I cried yeah. and cried. And, yeah. and it was such a, but it was also a moment that I also, it was the first time I ever thought, oh, he might've had a really horrible growing up as well. One of the reasons he didn't know how to be a dad. And mm-hmm. it was like the first time I really thought, you know, your parents, your siblings, everybody that you come in, you, every one of us is from my viewpoint, we're spirits having a human experience and the human experience, it's not always easy, but each one of us is having an experience and nobody's perfect. And I think the weird part that sometimes we get the idea that, you know, your parents or your siblings or even family members should live up to some weird, arbitrary, hidden standard. And Mm -hmm. it's just... It's not true. Like when he said nobody came to his high school graduation, come to find out he ended up his um, his mom died when he was really young, like within a couple months. Of, and then he had a, um, a stepmother who who sent him off to military boarding school and he never got to grow up with parents. He was at military boarding school 12 months a year, even for the summers. And he was allowed to come home for one week for Christmas and one week for Easter. And nobody came to his high school graduation. Wow. Yeah, that's deep too. And how was your process like finding out about this like? Because, um, you know, I, I presume it took a lot of time to catch up through a, through a number of years, right? It's you, you don't just open yeah. up and warm up, be like, hey, here's my heart. You know, like nope. <laughs> you have all these walls that you build up for your own safety, right? And as you probably know, and probably from your viewpoint, it'd be really beautiful to have your thing as a man. Mm-hmm. Um, he was not um, interested in sharing. And I, I don't even know. I think it was just my, my absolute desire to understand mm-hmm. why things had gone so off the rails for my childhood and why, you know, my brother then became a really, I mean, he went really bad, really dark for him um, for drugs and alcohol. And I mean, it's, it's amazing his life story. And my sister, she had a lot of rough times because of the childhood and still she's healing from a lot of it. And I remember thinking, you know, how do you get a man to open up when, you know, one, we're just so taught not to be vulnerable and to not say those things. And then he was in a military boarding school. So you think about military and then back, you know, 20 years, 30 years, as you go back and you think, you know, you just didn't speak. You just did what you were told. And you were, again, trapped in a a different kind of silence than I referred to earlier. But I think each one of us has to find a way that we're willing to break out. And to me, one of the secrets is start asking questions. Yes. That's a huge one for sure. That's it. That's an incredibly huge one. And to, to share with my, at my end, like I think for myself, why, how, what got me opening up is I was so tired of going through the same cycles in life. And going through the same amount of pain to the point where I'm just like, you know what? Like, I had to trust fall. I had to trust fall. And, you know, that the moment of taking that leap of faith of, you know, you think, you know, or because you're programmed, right? As like for myself, like as a male, like my dad's like, oh, you should never show your feelings. It's weak. It's weakness to do so. Right. We should provide, you know, if you can't hold your family, it means a man can't do his job of protecting their family and all that stuff, right? So you have that masculine and feminine kind of diversion or energy and the the separation between that. But I, for myself, it was gone. It had gone to the point where, you know, I finally found someone that really understood me, which is my coach and therapist. And you know, I had to trust for and be like, you know what, like let's open up, let's 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 figure out who you really are instead of what society tells you to be. Yeah. Right? And then it's like, man, I had to still, and I find that a lot of individuals, all my friends that do do the work too, I find that the nicest thing is like when doing the work, they're not like a a big part of it isn't even like looking forward and building themselves up. It's breaking down these walls that we built up ourselves in our 
and our narratives, right? And actually embracing our authentic self, looking at our inner child, looking at all these things that we like missed out on, right? And kind of like you said, like, I understand like males are, I don't want to say all males are stubborn because, you know, like we, you know, I don't want to paintbrush like a gender with one another or whatever it is, right? But it is, especially with the traditional like upbringing, it's definitely difficult to like crack and crack, crack them open. Yeah. And to be able to be, I want to say, be brave enough mm-hmm. to be willing to experience whatever happens when it, when you do <laughs> open up. Because I remember, I remember one time sharing this story about um, Tommy Roberts and and getting that with this uh, this group. Um, it was funny. I was down in in the British Virgin Islands and. It's another weird story, but I was down there and um, sure enough, they were like, you know, you really shouldn't share that story. Oh, you should really keep that to yourself. It's um, it's obvious that you just have a lot of bitterness and it was very evaluative and and they were not open to it. And I thought it was so interesting because I was like, well, it's my story and it was my life and it was my viewpoint. But I also realized immediately, um, and, and maybe because they felt like something in their lives, they should have done better for their kids, or I don't even know, but their reaction was so negative about me ever sharing my story. And I thought, huh, why would somebody again want to silence me? And I thought, I don't want to ever be silenced. And mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, someone's uncomfortable with me saying, you know, that my mom wasn't a perfect mom or that I can, you know, that I had some of the experiences I had. I understand that, but I also feel like you shouldn't silence somebody because their story is their story. And we can learn so much by sharing each other's experiences and even your viewpoint. And my viewpoint on a lot of it has changed. You know, when it, for, when I first got out of the house, I was so determined just to prove my mom wrong. You know, yeah. like she was like, you're so stupid. You're never going to, you're never going to get into college. And of course I got into college and then she's like, but you're never going to graduate. And all the way through college, she was like the monster. If I was having a hard time, she was the first person to make sure she jumped on the band. Right? You're never going to finish that, that term paper. You're never going to pass that class. Da, da, da. And so I went on for a bachelor's and a master's degree. And, um, and I was student body president. I was the first ever woman to be student body president in the deep South. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was amazing, all of the accomplishments. And then from there, I just kept on going. And, but one of the things that you, you mentioned, um, I think before hand is, so how do I start speaking? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I, I think with what you're sharing a lot on, like, it sounded like, you know, there were more bits and cues of you, like trying to tell you to resist your your nature your true nature right and yeah please continue on i'd love to hear hear this because you know it's i find that there are a lot of people with voices but some could be silenced out of their own will but some maybe due to limiting beliefs that well and i think that yeah you're limiting thank you thank you for saying that because the limiting beliefs i think is one of the things of like what my mom said to me you know, I mean, her saying that I wish I was never born, if I really, if I really just decided to believe her and make that a limiting belief that I should have never born and that I should be, I should stay shut up and that I should stay silenced and, and that I shouldn't reach for anything and that I wasn't, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't worthy of college. I wasn't smart enough. If I believed some of the stuff that she said, which it wasn't like those, those, you know, negative voices didn't pop up like a zillion times. And I have to, you know, re jump that mountain, re hike up to the top of the mountaintop. But I remember like when I got to college, it was just, it was just a junior college, two year college. And I remember I, I made a decision. And part of it is I kept going back to that moment I was telling you about standing in front of a judge in the courtroom and the judge is, is, is saying these horrible things that my mother has said about me that are not anything to do with the truth. And yet I was, I was like a prisoner inside of myself because I wouldn't speak up and I wouldn't stand up to my mom. Like, that's why I say I admire my sister and I admire my brother as much as my, my sister paid for it with a lot of bruises and, you know, violence and, and obviously being sent away and 
bounced around about foster homes. She was brave to stand up to my mom. And even my brother was brave. It was a lot of violence that he got as a result of standing up to her. And that's one one of the reasons that I was one of the silenced voices. So my first year of college, I remember I decided I, I immediately enrolled in a speech course. Oh, wow. And my very first speech I ever wrote was just average. That was the name of it. It's called just average because all my life I had been told I was just average. And it's a weird thing to think, you know, you think about this with um, any children that you're around and anybody that you influence, because you're an influencer in so many ways, but think about this. Children do not live up to low expectations. Mm -hmm. If you have low expectations you know, what does that mean? You, they need high expectations. So they rise up to them. So I realized that, you know, all my life, that was a phrase I kept hearing was just average, just average. And that was my very first speech was, I, I don't want to be remembered as being just average. And then the weird part about it was, and so I, that was my first course and I shook, like I literally shook. I think I probably threw up after the first time I had to speak. And, and the course probably had 20 people in it. It wasn't like, you know, I was talking to 200 people or something. And then after two years at my junior college, sure enough, and I can't remember if I, I think I was voted at my junior college to be the speaker at commencement. Oh, that's that's a huge, huge role to take. <laughs> Just... I remember, it was so funny because I remember when I, I did this speech, I remember I was shaking so much mm -hmm. that I hid my hands and I remember afterwards thinking, I have no idea what I said. It was just because I was so nervous and I had never done anything like that. I mean, I hadn't, I don't even know if I, I think I'd always made an excuse or been sick on book report days in elementary and high school. I, anytime I was asked to speak, I never spoke all yeah. the way through school, but it wasn't until standing in front of that judge and realizing they're all saying things about me that are not true. And like, I could end up in jail if I don't put a stop to this. And I, I realized I had to figure out a way to let my voice be heard. But how do you, I mean, you think about this. So I'm curious about you. So you decided to get a podcast. You decided to let your voice be heard. I'm curious, where did that decision come from? Yeah, of course. So uh, I've shared a little bits and pieces to my audience. But for myself, what happened was I, I was telling you, I was going through that role. I was checking off all the boxes where, you know, go to university. I grew up in a household where if you don't go, go to university, get a degree, get a designation of some sort, like you're, you're rubbish, right? It's wow. not, that's not how it was, but that's what was perceived. Right. And then right. You know, I had a house, I was married, you get that white picket fence. And then next step was kids, but I was checking all that off, not for myself, but a part, big part of that was for, you know, my mother, right? Like she, she, my dad was incarcerated when I grew up or especially when oh. I was born and stuff. And my, I saw my mom like work her butt off two, three jobs to, just to raise myself and my sister. So to me, I felt that I owed her my world, everything, right? So it got to the point where, you know, I was living a lot of my time and all my means and I neglected my own needs for yeah. her vision. And then when I was married too, I was, interestingly enough, like doing the same thing for my ex-wife at the time. Right? Wow. And then up until like we split, you know, there's infidelity and I, I just, I just had enough, right? And I think that was that very moment where, you know, I was so tired of being spoken to and rumors going on. Cause like during the, during the split too, there were, I kept silent. I laid low. Cause I just, I was just, I just couldn't believe it. Right. I was heartbroken and at the time too. My mother was like, she was fighting cancer. So my priority was my mom and my cancer. And then I'd, I'd say silent. But then again, the group of friends, the other side, they started speaking and kind of like you, it's almost like being presented to a judge. People are finger pointing, paint brushing you without even knowing what was, what was actually true and what's not. Right. Right. So to me, I was like, you know what? I'm so done with this. And the pain was so strong where I had a friend, um, his name is Donald Lee. And he suggested he, it got to the point where I couldn't even talk. Like I, like at work, you know, I think I'm, a, I'm not sure if I shared with you, but I'm a CPA. I, I deal with tax, international taxation. And another big part of my audits is like, I interview a lot of, I do a lot of functional interviews. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And during that time, I couldn't even speak. Like it's almost as if my voice, I couldn't even speak, period. So right. that's my friend suggested me to, hey, why don't you start a podcast? And let's look into the let's let's start this podcast, which is this very one that we're talking on right Yay! now. And throughout like a series of episodes, it, it did it definitely helped me a lot, but it wasn't like the real this was like a band-aid fix because it wasn't fixed looking into the core issue of things, right? For example, you know how addiction or people look at drugs as being the core root issue for right. addiction. But that's 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 just like the surface layer. We gotta peel the yeah. onions, right? So for my yeah. my surface was this podcast. This podcast had got me going. And this is because of this podcast, I was able to network and I was able to like come into people where I'm like, hey, I can actually relate with you. Hey, what you said, I really relate with. And that's how I met my coach. And then I started doing more and more work because I would always try to do the work myself too and read my books and all that stuff. You know, I'd read, read Grant Cardone's like 10X, the yeah. 10X book and a lot of these self-help books. But like I was getting nowhere because I figured out the why, but I didn't I didn't know the how. Like, so... Um, but essentially, this is why I started the podcast. It was a challenge nice. at first. So um, this is what made me found my voice. And it's given me, you know, the platform and the opportunities that I have right now. Which is amazing because, again, everybody has to find their voice at their time that they're ready to. I want to say it, it kind of makes me feel like saying when you decide you're no longer going to be silenced and you're no longer going to allow everybody else to define and evaluate as well as invalidate you, your life, your beingness. And, and I think that the funny part is, is it's funny. I talk about this a lot in, uh, in real estate in negotiations is that if you think about how powerful your voice is and communicating yeah. and if any way you start to not, Oh, it's not that important or blah, blah, blah. You start to dismiss it. Think about the fact that peace talks stop bullets. Mm, they yes. stop wars. Peace talks. Hundred percent. So you yeah. have to not you have to not hold your voice in. You have to not hold in your passions and whatever it is that you need to chase after. You have to chase after it. Um, I want to share with you another story real fast about. Let's hear it. Let's hear it, Jennifer. This. So here's a here's a story I think you'll appreciate. So my brother, again, um, you have to go back to a time, which I know is hard now, but think about it. there's no emails, there's no mm -hmm. cell phones. So I, I, my brother has left. And so I don't know where he is. And I think by then I was at the junior college and I knew that my brother in the Florida Keys, then you go north. Well, if you know Grant Cardone, he's up in the Miami uh, Fort Lauderdale area. And so my brother was up in that area and, but I didn't know, I knew where he lived, but I didn't really know what was going on in his life. But I always knew that from when we were kids, he always loved guitars. And I had gotten this red electric guitar. And I remember I went by um, his house and he wasn't home. And, but I left it on the front porch and I said, and I wrote him a little note and it was so funny because um, he recently, my brother, um, publish this story and it's it, like the first time I heard him say this story to people I was just behind him and it took me everything I had to just not just start crying because I had no I didn't know the other side of the story until just a couple of years ago but because I all I knew is I had you know I had this guitar I had tried to learn to play it I wasn't doing really good but I knew my brother loved guitars and again he and I hadn't been able to get communicate because there was not really email and you know again back then it was really hard to catch somebody on a phone because you know we didn't have cell phones people didn't carry a phone Land with them lines. <laughs> landlines were yeah. horrific and we lived hours away from each other we lived like three hours away from each other so so I had been up in that area um, and anyway. I left the guitar and I left the note and I left. Well, my brother had been out to a concert the night before. And as usual, he had bought an extensive amount of um, some drugs. Mm -hmm. And well, let's just say his intent was to, I don't know if you want to say share or sell or whatever, but needless to say, he got arrested that night and they took him to jail. He was in jail and the next morning he went before a judge and the judge basically said, um, you have enough that we can put you away for basically the rest of your life for at least 40 years. Wow. And he said, you know, I guess that's probably the best thing for me because. This is the end of part one of our episode.
with Jennifer J. Hammond, episode 61 of the First Generations podcast. Make sure you check out part two. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube at First Generations Podcast. For any questions, comments, and inquiries, please reach out to Aaron at firstgenerationspodcast.com. That is A-A-R-O-N at firstgenerationspodcast.com. Stay tuned for the next episode.